environment in which pastors are ministering is becoming increasingly harder and harder. Certainly there's a shift in our culture that is occurring to where to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ is to minister in a hostile environment. There's growing hostility. Now in other parts of the world, it's already more than ramped up, but that's happening here. And so that's a factor. Certainly the COVID crisis where there was isolation, political issues, all of that, that took a toll on pastors. In 1972, some major news events in history included 11 Israeli athletes that were murdered by Arab gunmen at the Munich Olympics. Five White House operatives are arrested for burglarizing the offices of the Democratic National Committee that started the Watergate scandal. The United States and Soviet Union signed the Anti-Ballistic Mission Treaty. NASA's space shuttle program is officially launched. The Dow Jones closes above 1,000 for the first time in history, and Jim and Rochelle Fleming were married, and they also decided to attend a Bible conference that would change the trajectory of their lives. Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Friend, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm really looking forward to this next half hour as we sit down and visit with my dear friend, Jim Fleming. Jim, it's been too long. You've been hiding from me. You've been back in Memphis now for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. and you've been avoiding me, it seems like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've been on the road uh, for—actually, I've been with IPM now for eight years. That has taken me in lots of different parts of the country. But yes, we're back here in Memphis and delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. The last time I think we were talking, you were up in Ohio, I believe. Is that right? You know, I'm not sure what the last time was, (laughs) but I've been on assignment in a couple churches in Iowa. And my last one, I was there for 32 months was in Rochester, Minnesota. So I, I finished up there in uh, late 21. So I guess you don't miss those northern winters then? Well, I have to say that, yes, the cold is cold, but the uh, Minnesotans, they have a way of just kind of rolling with it, and the sun is out a lot. And so, you know, we compensated. Now, I didn't do the polar plunge. They chisel out a hole in the river and you jump in, but I was okay. But I'm glad to be back in some warmer weather. Good to have you back. And really, in a ministry spot that you started at, First Evangelical Church, I don't know if you started it, but you spent a portion of your ministry in the early years at First Evangelical Church here in Memphis before God used you to plant to the new church, Carrieville Bible Church, and you were their lead pastor yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, the uh, it's somewhat surreal what I'm currently doing because, yes, 41 years ago, my wife and I moved here from L.A. I had uh, taught at Biola University and been a pastor uh, in L.A., and then we came here to be an associate pastor at First Devan, and that was 41 years ago. We ended up staying there at the church for eight years. Then that church decided to plant a church in Collierville, and we were there for 25 years. So now here I am, 41 years later, and I'm back at the same place, and it's there's a little bit of a surreal <laughs> sense to it, but there's also a sense of homecoming. We're seeing dear ones that we've known for a long time, and so it's actually got a fun and encouraging factor going to it. Well, it's also, I think, uh, shows a good sign for you and Rochelle, it may, may, mostly you, that uh, that they received you back. You didn't have to leap <laughs> down. Well, I think that's right. You know, apparently, you know, uh, if, if there was a bad taste, you know, it had uh, worn off or something like that. So anyway, no, it's been good. 
We've had some wonderful times in the past on this show. We've shared your ministry with IPM, and we want to have a program coming up soon and talk more details about sure. that. That's not why we're here today. Okay. But we also had uh, Serenivus. A missionary yeah. a friend in India. Oh my goodness, what an incredible story. Yeah. Uh, any updates on that ministry today? Well, the Global Banjara ministry continues to do well, and in some respects, the loss of their three children, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, but it opened numerous doors and gave a lot of visibility and gave an opportunity to talk about Jesus in a culture where that's a challenge. And so the ministry continues to flourish. They celebrated 20 years, and several thousand Banjara believers came together. 20 years ago, none of them were believers because God has done this amazing work. So that's been fun, oh. and it's been fun to be a part of Srinivas and Sujata's lives, and uh, they're a sweet couple. Well, I mentioned about this Bible conference that you and Rochelle attended back in 1972. This particular Bible conference changed the trajectory of your life. Yeah, uh, what it was, uh, Rochelle and I were, as you say, married in 1972, and we were youth ministry sponsors at the church that I grew up in. And so we were helping the high schoolers, and this conference was something that we planned. We had about 100 kids, but as the speaker was sharing, he was talking to me, not them. Both Rochelle and I knew in that moment that, you know, I was working in heavy construction at the time, that God was calling us to do something different. And I came out of the conference, looked at Rochelle and said, I think God's calling us to ministry. And Rochelle said, I do too. And so, <laughs> so that uh, definitely kind of changed everything. We sold it all, packed it all up in the U-Haul. We uh, went to L.A. where we went to seminary and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a part of what happened. Jim Barna reports 42% of pastors are thinking of leaving the ministry, and that was back in 2022. Where's the disconnect? Where's that glue that's supposed to keep a pastor committed to ministry? Yeah, I would say that one of the things that we've been seeing, and we're seeing this in IPM, but I'm certainly personal observation too, is that the climate, the environment in which pastors are ministering is becoming increasingly harder and harder. Certainly, there's a shift in our culture that is occurring to where to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ is to minister in a hostile environment. There's growing hostility. Now, in other parts of the world, it's already more than ramped up, but that's happening here, and so that's a factor. Certainly, the COVID crisis, where there was isolation, political issues, all of that, that took a toll on pastors. And so, what we've discovered is that there are many more churches that whose pastors have said, I need to take a break or whatever. We can't meet all the need. So it's a piece of what's there. Well, you've written a resource, Shepherdology 101, From Shepherdless Sheep to Flourishing Flocks. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's a tongue twister. This book provides a number of helps to grow a church that thrives in healthy flocks. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the content of the book has been something that I've developed and used for many years. In each of the churches where I've gone, we've used this to develop a cadre of shepherds who have been investing in sheep, and it's been profoundly valuable. What happened is during the COVID crisis, I actually had some bandwidth where I could write it all down. Yeah. And so uh, while we were all in lockdown and all the craziness of that season, I took advantage of that to basically put on paper what I'd been sharing with different churches. 
the three things that a good shepherd does and is, namely, he is a prayer shield for people, he is a growth asset, and he's a ministry coach. And if you have good shepherds who are actively engaged in doing life together with the flock, those people are going to have someone who's praying for them, and not just praying for the latest physical ailment, but praying for the spiritual challenges that they're facing. He is going to be assessing where are they and what's the next step that God's got in mind for their growth. So he's going to be investing in them that they'll become more what Jesus wants. And then a ministry coach, he's helping them to discern, how does God want to use me in the lives of other people? And what can I do to help them be effective in that? So when you don't have that, you have people who are vulnerable because the prayer shield isn't there, people who are not necessarily growing like they could be, and people who are not bearing fruit in the lives of other people. You talk about prayer, and not only for a pastor's life, but even us as followers of Christ, you know, in our everyday life and jobs, whatever we might be, mm-hmm. keeping a focused prayer life. But knowing that as a pastor, you got sermon preparation, there's busy stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. Important things you've got mm-hmm. to do. And I could see where the temptation sometimes would be to put prayer not as a priority. Yeah, that's one of the challenges of helping men grow in their ability to shepherd well, is to discipline their lives in such a way that prayer engagement for the people around them and prayer for themselves is happening. You know, that incident in the life of Jesus where he and three of them went up on the mountain and there was a transfiguration. And then they came back, and the other disciples were frustrated because they were trying to deal with a demonic encounter, and they weren't getting anywhere. And Jesus had some words for the people, but he said this to the disciples who later asked him, why couldn't we do anything here? And he said, this one only comes out by prayer. In other words, there are certain things that God will partner with us in the doing, that can only be accomplished when we're praying and saying, God, we need your help to be able to do this. We can't do this by ourselves. Mm. We need you to help us. And so that's critical. If we want to see things that can only be explained by the hand of God, then we need to be talking to God and saying, here's where we need you to work. Yeah. Jim, what about assessing those people in your congregation who really want to be shepherd. I mean, there's some people, you know, that just want to attend on Sundays by membership, be on the the church roll, because, you know, grandma went to church there. But to go deeper, to find those people Mm -hmm. that are wanting to receive the principles and Mm -hmm. the biblical leadership of being shepherd. One of the things that we do at IPM is a health assessment of a church. When they've lost a pastor, we help them figure out all right, what are the ways in which uh, we need to address issues from the past? What are the ways in which we need to better embrace what God wants us to do in the future? And one of the tools we use is called a percept study. And we did that here at First of Ann. And what we discovered is if you take the footprint of that church, which is about 300,000 people, this is the area where people come to this church If you take the whole geographical area, it's a little over 300,000 people. And we're able to get information on those people. Here's one of the things that we discovered that was profound. Half of those people are hungry for a good church. And of those, the majority are saying, we want a place where we can be relationally connected with somebody else and be able to do life together. Now, they're not necessarily using language like, well, I know I need a Savior and I want to come to Jesus, 
but they are saying there's something missing in my life. And so the number of people who are actually interested in mentoring someone to help guide them, uh, a source of counsel, is off the chart to what we normally perceive. And so we haven't found anybody who is uh, saying, oh, no, I don't want anybody to invest in me or whatever. We're just not seeing it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a foundational and fundamental way for a church is accountability. Uh, This seems to be an area where a lot of churches and individuals kind of miss the mark, understanding accountability or the lack thereof. Yeah, the core of this shepherdology concept is first and foremost to understand that we have accountability to God as shepherds. Uh, Basically, what this book does is it says, here's what God says we need to be doing as pastors or as elders or as shepherds. Here's his job profile. So first kind of direction of accountability is us toward God. We want to, and here's the key verse, this is 1 Peter 5, 4, we want to someday experience this verse. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Man, I, I want that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want those that I'm investing in to experience that as well. So accountability starts by us being accountable and basically saying, I want the Lord's approval more than I want the approval of men. So then we start finding the people who are able to say that. I want God to tell me what I need to hear, even when it's not what I want, but it's what I need. And we'll start running with those people who are ready to go for it. Yeah. And and doesn't Scripture also instruct us to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? And that would be for all believers. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that we're doing with each of the churches we talk about is Jesus in his prayer— actually made this statement. He said, you know, make them one so that the world might know that you sent me. In other words, the ability to be a people who are on the move together at one and experiencing the oneness that we have in Christ is actually what gives credibility to Jesus as who he is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're trying to help people (laughs) to experience those things which tells the world, there's something going on here. This is not the usual. So, Well, going back to, and we're going to, again, spend more time in this in your ministry position with IPM, but when you walk into a church that's been without a shepherd for whatever reason, they just quit or they got fired, or what are some typical things you discovered about the people's understanding of being shepherd and the way they were shepherd, either right or wrong? Uh, That's a good question. You know, if I was to go to each of the churches that I have been at before, they were not viewing the pastor as the only shepherd. He needs to be a shepherd. But there were expectations of others, lay leaders, to function in some kind of role where they were shepherding. But most of them would say, I don't really know what it is I'm supposed to do. (laughs) What am I supposed to do here? When the chief shepherd, and ultimately the chief shepherd is Jesus, but you know, when the senior pastor leaves, there is a bit of a vacuum. People will say, who's watching out for me? And it's precisely here that if you have a cadre of a group of lay shepherds, when they step into the void, then the flock feels like, okay, I got somebody watching out for me. You know, at the last church I was at, which would be a, a pretty large church, several thousand, and 
we raised up a group of shepherds, over 100. When COVID hit, each of those shepherds was on a weekly basis checking in with their people, praying for them. A lot of this had to happen over yeah. the phone because yeah. we, you know, yeah. we couldn't actually be in the same room right. with each other. But I had people say to me, I almost don't want this to stop because somebody's watching out for me. And so finding ways when a senior pastor leaves to be able to raise up a host of lay shepherds who understand basically God's job description of what they're supposed to do is a difference-making thing to do. And I could see, too, where this could be a very helpful way for the church to function in light of persecution. I mean, something that we haven't... Oh, you're hitting on it now. Uh, This is really what drove the writing of this book. You know, I believe we need this now, but I am convinced, I don't know what the pace of this is, but I am convinced we are moving to a place where it is possible that we won't be able to have a, a building with a cross on the top. We won't be able to gather as a large group. That doesn't mean the church won't survive, but church as we know it might not survive. We need to be a people who understand what it means to thrive in flocks, because we are moving into a place in our culture where that is going to become increasingly vital and necessary. Yeah. Jim, when we look at Jesus, his model, as you mentioned, the ultimate model of a shepherd, what are some key points that he emphasized while he was on earth before he left the earth? Yeah, and there's a chapter in John where he uses himself as an example, and he says, I am the good shepherd. So whatever we're trying to do as shepherds, we want to pay attention to what he's telling us and figure that out. And there are several things that he says in there that tell us about a good shepherd. He talks about the contrast between the hireling shepherd. This is someone who's doing it for what they get out of it. And he says a good shepherd is someone who is willing to put his life at risk for the good of the sheep. He cares so much about promoting their true good that he will certainly inconvenience himself. Uh, He will do things that are costly. In some cases, he will actually put himself in harm's way in order to protect and promote the good of his sheep. And so Jesus says an example, and even in the verse I quoted earlier, it says, you know, and when the chief shepherd appears, he's the one we're trying to be like. He's our chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is so beautiful, Jim. And we're just touching on just (laughs) this, this resource is so thick. It's so rich. And I've been reading through it. I'm going, oh, my goodness, we cannot cover everything in this book. So we're definitely jumping around trying to whet people's appetite to want to get a copy of Shepherdology 101, From Shepherdless Sheep to Flourishing Flocks. So we want you, friend, to get a copy. We'll give you some details in a moment on how to do that. You know, Jim, there are times that a shepherd is required to say things that are hard for the flock to hear or maybe for an individual to hear being corrected in a spiritual sense. Knowing how to walk through that, because, I mean, you might have someone you're trying to, lack of better words, discipline or correct, uh, they're related to other family members of the church. You could easily be misperceived for that. What is the action plan that you have when you address situations like that as a shepherd? Yeah. So let's say I'm dealing with a situation like what you've described. Basically, what we're doing in the book is we're unpacking what does the Scripture say about how we do this? So let me reference some of that. Titus 1.9 
the scriptures tell us, and that's a passage that's talking about shepherds. It says, he must be one who is devoted to the word, so we have to be word-driven, in order that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine, and then get this, and refute those who contradict. In other words, he needs to be able to give a word-driven answer as to why something that someone is doing doesn't align with scripture. And if we understand that sin is harmful, then to tell people this is not right, this is not what it needs to be, is actually to promote their true good. So one aspect of what a shepherd is going to do is he's going to refute those who contradict. He's going to go to them and he is going to, in a loving way, say, this does not square with what the Word says. Now, I have to add to that something that shows up a few verses later. He says, you don't do this in order to drive somebody into the ground. You do it because you're earnestly desiring for them to embrace the truth and be helped by it. And so you go with a goal, which is not to alienate or drive somebody away. Your goal is that they may be one without a word, if necessary, yeah, and, yeah. and come around. And so that's what we're after. Well, and I think, too, in light of culture and culture contrast to the church and, and what Scripture mandates and the teachings of God's Word, you're probably seeing situations like that more often. Yeah, and this is going to be a challenge. It is a challenge. It's going to become an increasing challenge, which is how do we minister the love of Christ in a world that is increasingly saying, I need to live an authentic me, and I need to live the way that I think I need to live. Well, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it's the way of death. And so how do we artfully negotiate this and communicate the truth to people, but do so in a way that communicates love and graciousness, things like that? You know, the bondservant protocol which is in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, basically what he's saying there is, you need to be gentle, you need to be kind, you need to be these things, and then here's God's part, that's my part, gentle and kind, and correcting, here's God's part, that God may grant them repentance, that's a gift from him, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Mm -hmm. So I got my part, which is about not apologizing for the truth, but delivering it in a way that's gracious, laced with grace, gentle, patient, and then plead with God. Here's the prayer factor again. God, would you please do what only you can do, which is bring somebody to a place of true repentance. Jim, what a good word. Well, what's the best way for a reader to use your book? Well, um, the book is something that can be actually serve three different functions. One if you're looking for a new pastor, this book is really what you should be looking for. So if you need to find someone for a staff position at a church, or if you're looking for a, a lay shepherd, this is what you're looking for. Number two, if you have lay leaders who are the best bet you've got to be the shepherds of your church, this book is actually written in a way, it has some resources in it, to where you can embark upon a two or so year long process that will actually get you to a place where you've got a whole host of men who have identified with flocks, and they are a prayer shield, growth asset, ministry coach for those people. Anyway, yeah. those are a couple ways. Anyway. <laughs> I love it. Well, has it been worth it to you, Jim? All the labor, sermon preparation, counseling, conflicts, funerals, 
people not getting your purpose to equip the saints for them to do the work of the ministry. Has it been a train that you maybe wished you had jumped off sometime? <laughs> <laughs> well, usually every Monday morning, you know, is a time when you kind of think, am I really doing what I need to? You know, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is... I am not qualified to evaluate my ministry, and this comes from 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, it's a small thing that I be examined by you or be by any human court. I don't even examine myself. The one who examines me is the Lord. So I'm not qualified in the final analysis to really assess my ministry and what I'm doing. I am going to, to the best of my ability, do everything that God says in his word, and then I'm going to leave it with him. So that's one piece. But the second piece is, and it says, you know, the days are evil, so make the most of the time. And the word time there is the word chronos, which is, uh, I mean, it's kairos. Uh, there's two Greek words, chronos and kairos. And kairos is a term that refers to this window of opportunity. It's the term that a surfer uses when he sees the wave coming and he knows, I got to paddle like crazy to catch this because that's kairos. It's the moment. And so I'm trying to do, be faithful to that scripture, to be diligent, to make the most of every opportunity. How are ways in which I can seize fruit for the cause of Christ? The other thing that encourages me is the parable of the seed and the sower. This is normal. It's shocking to me, but it's normal. 30, 60, 100-fold fruitfulness. I can't manufacture that, but God says when the word integrates with an honest, good heart, it's going to produce that kind of fruit. So I'm just trusting the Lord that he's producing that kind of fruit. So take it away, Lord. <laughs> take it away, Lord. <laughs> Shepherdology 101, From Shepherdless Sheep to Flourishing Flocks. The book is by Jim Fleming. It's available right now. And uh, Jim, what's the best way to get a copy? Uh, just go to uh, Amazon and, uh, you know, they've got it there and you can get a copy. They have it in paperback or hardback. So jump right on it. And if somebody wants to come and, and learn more, you're preaching right now at First Evangelical Church because this is an, an interim time for you. Yeah. Yes, I'm currently serving at First Evan. We've gone through most of our health assessment stage. We're actively searching for Pastor Next. And at such time as he is identified and had been received by the church, then my work will be finished and I will move on. So, yes, I'm there at the church for the time being. So don't know how long this will be, but uh, I'm there and currently preaching through the book of Daniel. All right. And, of course, your sermons are available online at First Evangelical's website. Yes. In fact... We have a, a place, if you go to the far right and you click on the media tab and then it says resources, you can actually access all kinds of materials that relate to sermon series that we've done. Book of Haggai, Book of Daniel, numerous other things. It's all there. Jim, God bless you, my brother. Thank you so much for what you continued for the kingdom of God, for his people, to equip the saints. Thanks for coming back and being on the show. I really appreciate it so much. Sure. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>